0: On this episode of the podcast, I have with me, Taha Hussein. He is a leadership coach, and we're going to be talking about motivating people to solve tough problems. And we're going to be covering you know, areas of how do you re- help people through motivation, learning new skills, um, you know, how, when challenge somebody, you know, they have to be able to raise the bar and you have to support them. It's not always just asking people to go jump higher. You need to, to provide that guidance to make sure that uh, they're supported in the right ways. Taha, I'm excited to have you on to talk about this. Excited to be here. Awesome. So before we dive in, let's start off right at the top. If you could just let everyone know uh, a quick uh, summary of who you are so that we can have some context to the episode. Awesome.
1: So I'm Taha senator I am a software engineer who turned into a manager and a leader at tech companies. I worked at startups, uh, tech companies like Microsoft, Yahoo, Walmart, And last year, I started a business for uh, leadership coaching. And so, what I do is I work with individuals and also groups to talk about leadership and how can they lead their teams and themselves better.
0: Awesome, awesome. Um, Yeah, I think this topic kind of feels fits right into your wheelhouse of 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 leadership, and it's it's a great topic about motivating people to solve tough solve tough problems. And I and I know obviously you know there's there's probably you know different ways to approach this and i want to hear your take cuz obviously the biggest challenge people have when solving any problem is is how to go about actually the process of figuring out what to tackle right a lot of times somebody comes and tells you go do this and for the most part if you don't know how to solve it you have to spend some cycles just to figuring out what don't you know you know, trial and error—that doesn't necessarily fit or help a company. In in reality, obviously, it's not what they want somebody to do. But a lot of times, it happens. I guess from your point of view, when you kind of think about people and approaching problems, tough problems, you know, what are some of the initial frameworks of helping support someone? Right, like right off the bat, I want to go ask them. I do something they might not be in their wheelhouse. They might not be comfortable. What do I do? That's a great question. Asking
1: people to solve tough problems and tough. An example is they haven't tried something before, something new for them. I'll talk about a story. You know, there's um, back in Yahoo when I was a new manager, I had a new team and I didn't know anyone on the team. And I was doing one on ones. And one of the engineers who was a senior engineer, he asked me about his growth plan. And so I asked him about because a lot of team members that we had worked on big data. And he, had, he didn't have the expertise in that. So I asked him, hey, you know, we need help over there. And so it'd be great for him to learn this new skill. And he was like, hey, big data, that's like, you know, he seemed like big data is like too big. Like out of my comfort zone, I haven't even heard about it. I see people talk about it. It seems like something too big for me. And so that was one thing I realized. And then over the course of one week, I got to know more about him, what he really likes doing, what his strength is he was a great java programmer i mean he could write code like i have not seen write code like that sometimes and so i saw that and that's a basic requirement for you to learn the technology of big data but he didn't know that part the second part was the team actually needed a lot of help the team signed up for big goals for by the chief architect for the for, for the company in that quarter and so we didn't have enough strength to fix all those problems in that quarter so I went to this guy and I said, so so first thing is that you, we want to connect people with a pain point that they care about, somebody that they care about. You know, if you are, say, for example, in the esports industry, like I was in the last time, people care about the player's experience. But sometimes it's not the customer, it's your immediate team members or your family members or your friends, whoever that is. And so I talked about the team that he's working in for a while and he's a senior engineer and the team desperately needs someone to come and help And based on what I've seen him doing, his Java, his expertise, he's the right candidate to solve that problem. I could go and hire somebody, but I would still be doubt, but this person can actually solve this problem. So what I did was to make people go towards solving a tough problem, you need to show why it's important. Because they have to get out of their safe zone. I don't call it comfort zone. I call it safe zone. They have to come out of the safe zone feeling I can fail. And at the same time, you have to give them confidence that they can do it. You have to make them believe that they are the ones who can actually do it. You know what? In three months, the person not only learned the stuff, he was the, he was the maximum contributor to the code base. My boss was amazed by that.
0: Hmm. Interesting. You know, you said something um, really, I, I think interesting there when you said move out of their safe zone. And obviously as people, when you, we are kind of risk averse, right? Humans, you know, however way you view evolution, that's a whole different topic. I'm not an expert, but obviously part of our DNA is built on survival still. And our safe zone, our comfort zone is very important to us. So, you know, you mentioned connecting the problem, why it's important. You're trying to connect that why, give them a reason to move out of their safe zone. So when to get somebody to move out of their safe zone and to, for them to feel comfortable, the failure is okay. Is part of that solution also understanding that like it's you know the accountability component isn't, you know, we don't want that quote unquote blame culture. We want to understand what happened, but you know, you're safe if you fail. Because a lot of times we talk about creating that blameless culture, but most people don't feel that's that's accurate or true.
1: That's an excellent point that we are not feeling safe because we would be judged by the results or the books we are doing. And so if I fail, I'll be judged by that. And while that sounds true, it's also based on behaviorism that Watson suggested uh, came up with, you know, 100 years ago. And that has been proven wrong because we are now saying that, hey, I like you as a team member because you're doing good rewards. The day you don't produce rewards, I don't like you. And there's a lot of corporate culture talking about why you should not have friends at work. But thing is that... It's a human being I'm working with. You are going to build a happy relationship with them. You know, Drawing those lines is much more difficult than accepting those lines, that these are human beings, I'm just working with them. The main goal over here is not to tell people to produce excellent results. It's about, did you put in your best effort? If you have put in your best effort, that's what counts because there's so many unknowns that are happening and you can't control everything. So as an example, it's a movie called Apollo 13, which Ed Harris plays the role of the flight operation. And this is based on a real story. And they talk about how there was one guy who whose team built the lunar module. And now they need to use a lunar module to land on Earth. And he's asking to do it. And he's saying, hey, you know, I don't want to take any responsibility because I didn't design it to land on Earth. I designed not it to land on, on Moon. And this gene keeps on, Ed Harris keeps on focusing on, hey, you know, but that's not a design. we got to work with what we have. This guy wasn't like talking about that he's not feeling safe. Eventually, he figured it out and he said, okay, I know what you're trying to do. I'm not going to hold you personally responsible. If it lights, it lights. And then everyone sort of make it work. Because if you are not feeling safe, you can do all the reasoning you want. The person is frozen. They're not going to do anything about it. That's just our nature. And so accepting that as a reality that we have to make people safe and not create environment an environment in which they their creativity does not flourish doesn't work for us.
0: That's a good example, and I think I think um, you know I was, in this case I guess yeah the Paul thirteen that's that's a good example of you know, a case where uh, somebody does have to take that risk and sometimes you know and I guess the the example you had at Yahoo you observe this person you felt very confident that their skill set would translate and i guess sometimes you know we do have that component of this person plus some new skill is going to mean they can achieve this and as a manager maybe you're observing that that person obviously is in the thick of it they're not necessarily you know seeing that that you know purview of 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 where they are with with that gap that gap is important, though, right? And obviously, the organization has to make an investment for that person to, to 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 upskill, learn whatever they need to do to be able to tackle this problem. If it is something, if it is skill based issue, you also have to take into account somebody needs that time, somebody needs to have that opportunity to learn those, you know, that 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 new skill, and then also apply it. There's there's a cycle. How, how do you support that? So that obviously people have to still do their job, and you're asking them to take on something new, and and making sure that they have the right skills to do it. So
1: planning is part of everything. We have to leaders plan a lot, and they plan to plan a lot too. Plan to plan is very important. And so what you are doing is that you are making a plan as a project manager and taking this as a project. You just go and learn and saying it doesn't work. You gotta help the person through the process, help them build a plan because they are in this case was a software engineer. He's not necessarily a project manager, but I am, and I'm supposed to help him with that. So I use my expertise on breaking down his learning goal into small steps, but each step is also aligned with the goals that we need to deliver in a quarter over a period of time. It's not like a big bang. End of three months, here's the result. That won't happen. And so we have to break it down to small pieces. But what that does automatically, it creates small achievements. Now, the person is, is does something, he solves a problem, feels good about it, gets more confident, picks up a higher task, and then it, it just becomes a snowball. And keeps on rolling. Now, as a manager, you have to manage the learning aspect along with the delivery of the project, and they go hand in
0: hand. Yeah, I was actually thinking, as you're mentioning that, you kind of referred to the safe zone. You, you talk, we're talking about skills, and we're talking about obviously, you know, people have to, you know, you know, they're being challenged to solve something new. It happens every day. They have to, you know, raise some some aspects of their ability to deliver. I guess the tricky part, we talked about accountability as well, but the tricky part is when it doesn't happen, right? And obviously let's say you're in a good environment, there's accountability, but the person themselves, you know, outside of the accountability perspective, if they aren't successful, there's a lot of internal thoughts, you know, am I good enough? How are they going to view it? My, My teammates, and that all is impacting someone and I think you know when they're about to take something on. There's even sometimes thinking about the failure or what could happen. And actually, if in lo and behold, it does happen, there's a whole component to making sure that that person comes out not feeling you know worried about taking another chance, but feeling supported. I guess when you're looking at that that side of the house, is that yeah, somebody is going to try and they're going to fail, and of course we're not going to hold them accountable but for their own well-being, how do you help them understand and support them and pick them up? Okay, so I'm going to take the help of some biology here, okay? Um, Let me explain one
1: other part before we go into about the fear and handling that. What does it mean what we are doing? I'll tell you a story about it first. So tomorrow is my daughter's birthday. And about an year ago, around the same time, she started sending me pictures of pugs like wearing ballerina dresses or like you know, dressed up and all of that. And I was thinking, why is she sending these pictures? And I figured she has spoken to me before about having a pug because she likes pugs and maybe she wanted a bird the gift as a pug. And afterwards, I walked out and I saw someone walking with three dogs and one of them was a pug. Then I went for a walk in the park. I saw so many pugs. It's like the universe was telling me, you need to buy a pug for your daughter, Right. And this happens to us all the time. We think about buying a car. Say, I want to buy a Tesla. And you are thinking, and you all you start seeing is Teslas around you. This just happens to us. And so in biology, this is uh, referred to as RAS, Reticular Activating System. And it's a two-inch or two-centimeter uh, thing that sits right above our spinal cord. And that's where it connects our rational mind to our uh, subconscious mind, the emotional mind, which does all the activity. It's also all about feelings, like fear is a feeling, safety is a feeling, it's an emotional concern, not a rational concern. And so what's happening is this RAS is like a cup. The concerns we have in this cup, we are going to look at the world with with that information because we get about 11 million bits of data every second. But we can only process around 50 bits, 50 versus 11 million. On a good day, you can say 70 bits, but that's still not enough. How do you get all this data extracted every second? So this RAS system acts like a sieve. It takes our concerns, put data through it, and then what comes out is those 50, 70 bits that are all about our concerns. Okay, now, if I'm concerned about failure, I'm gonna see failure everywhere, right? And it's just limited list, right? So, So we have to work with that. As leaders, lead people, by mastering how to uh, manage this RAS, this cup. And they start with themselves. If you're scared, you will emit more, you will make, make people more scared around you. And this is why, again, the example of Apollo 13, everyone was scared. And these are all like moonshots, they're all scared. But this leader is not scared. He's thinking, hey, failure is not an option. You gotta go bring people over here. And he has to have that. If he's scared, he would not be able to, you know, lead other people when he's scared. So having knowing you can fail is important so you can build a plan. But focusing on failure is not a good strategy. That makes that all you see is failure around you. And you start thinking, I'm going to fail, and you end up, end up failing. So as a leader, as people are working through that, you have to keep on giving confidence. And so motivation is something that I say as it's like an energy and it's a different energy. It's not like it doesn't build up slowly. It's like a big bang kind of thing. Like an event happens when the person that you are motivating generates a feeling inside of themselves, which makes them change the course of what they're thinking. Okay, And that's a big bang kind of energy happens inside them that they do. And so that talk has to happen. So for Yahoo, for example, my talk was... With that person about the teammates, and he can do it. And I, I believe in him. And after that, it's like just keeping momentum going on. You meet the person on a regular basis, but you have, if we have defined problem into smaller, smaller pieces, they're not looking at failure, they're building confidence. And if they fail at a small task, another task, then you can pivot. It's like a project. So it's not totally they start and they finish on the end. You manage the process and you learn in that process. So you have small, 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 small failures. And then you start pivoting, and you figure out what you want to do. So it builds confidence in them. So as a leader, that ras that you're working with the person, you're focusing on what's in their, what's in their sieve. You know what, what, what are they looking at? And each time when they're looking at something, help them figure out it's doable, and they can do it.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, you know when I was, I was listening to you talk about the. You know, fifty you know the 11 million bits of uh, information coming in, we can process, you know, 50 bits uh, a, a second. Um, and I was thinking, you know, how many times does somebody find themselves overwhelmed uh, when they're tracking a problem? And it could be anything; it doesn't have to be work. It could be home. And it's interesting that we're trying to potentially process <laughs> over our capacity, and all of a sudden you throw your hands up and you're like, I can't. And you kind of mentioned. You know that that factor of if you could help somebody and, and actually break that down to smaller, you know, bite-sized component to help them through the process. Sometimes that's all we need, so that you're not trying to process that that whole ocean. It's just it's, it. sounds like it'd be impossible for our minds, anyways.
1: Yeah. So breaking it down like that helps relieve anxiety, and it also breaks down to smaller pieces, so you can pinpoint and focus on the problem.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny, is. Um, I, you know, I do a lot of podcasts, and um, a lot of times things come back to very few fundamental, you know, psychological things: safe zone, you know, psychology component, anxiety psychology component, uh, motivation. It's 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 really interesting how you know, uh, as as people managers, a lot of the aspect of it is to help understand. You know your direct reports understand them to get through some of those mental components because skills are probably less of an issue because when you hire somebody you do know what you're getting and kind of what you've been talking about this motivation component is uh, and and you went back to in the beginning you mentioned if you could explain to them why the problem's important to help them focus to get them on on the same page you know to help them raise their game it's really interesting it's 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 so much of an art it's and, and there's so little people get taught on the job. Uh, before the job of becoming a manager to help people, you know, approach these type of, uh, uh, you know, managerial problems. And that, that's the that's the real challenge in being a manager is, you know, you're part psychologist, you're part, you know, person who breaks down work, as you mentioned. I mean, it's all these different hats that you have to wear. And this one's critical. You, you are right on the point. You know, the way I look at
1: the aspect of you are a people manager and a psychologist, for example... Uh, it's a little bit different than that. Um, we have not been taught formally you know, about so many things. For example, one of the things that I learned last year is how important is storytelling. And we are never taught storytelling in school. There is no course. I mean, they talk about writing essays, but they don't teach you formally how to write stories. And we watch stories around us all the time, in ca- growing up in cartoons, watching movies. It's all stories. But the way we communicate to ourselves is in terms of stories. We motivate each other using stories. That's the the key component. So we are not being taught how to lead ourselves. So my main goal is to learn as a leader, you got to learn how to lead yourself first. And so then what are we leading over here? Have you read a book called The Happiness Hypothesis? Yeah? So Jonathan Haid, in that book, he uses a story that he went to Arizona and he was riding a horse, he learned the horse, and then As he started, you know, the horse was taking a walk, it started going towards the cliff. And then he started moving the horse, but the horse wouldn't turn. And then he started panicking and the horse kept walking towards the cliff. And then the horse stopped like five feet before the cliff. And then, you know, once he caught his breath, he looked around. It was amazing scene. It could only be seen five feet from the cliff, at least, and on a horse. The horse was actually trained to bring visitors at this location. After 10 minutes, he turned the horse and the horse turned. So he writes about this, that, you know, brain works like that. He's psychologist. He says, you know, we have a rational mind. We have an emotional mind. And the rider's responsibility as a rational mind is to guide the elephant. Cannot force the elephant because... So this is a horse. He talks about an elephant instead. Our emotional mind is as big as like an elephant, six tons, while the rider the rational mind is like 0.1 tons. And so the rider can't push, can't force the elephant. You have to influence the elephant. And the way to influence the elephant... Is by telling stories the elephant cares about. So if you like there's there's a leader in Pakistan who's right now who used to be an ex-prime minister, his mother went through cancer in 85 and she died. And then he built a cancer charity hospital in Pakistan in 80s, like early 90s. Like that's a corrupt country. But he did that through charity. And he had no expertise in cancer or, or medicine or anything, but he felt the pain of his mother. And he saw other people don't have access to the care and they're going to the pain. So he felt their pain as if he's feeling his mother's pain. And that's why he went towards solving a problem. And so these things move us. Connections are so important to us. When people talk about at work, eh, there are no friends because you have to say bye one day. I say, you're not fully committing yourself into it because you'll be hurt one day. You might have to say them goodbye, and that's just part of life but at least devote yourself completely as a team member
0: yeah, it's actually quite interesting i, th- I think storytelling is uh is, is something very hard to actually master um i think it's a, it's always a work in progress and i think when you were you know when you're talking about you know the conversations you're having with your teammates you're trying to phrase the why of that problem and connect i think yeah, I guess Simon Sinek talks about that a lot. If, if if people can connect the why, that that does change the attributes. And I guess that that's storytelling, that ability, does does help. So we've been we've been talking a lot about the high level of motivating people. We've been trying to you know get them to understand, connect with the problem. I, I guess on a little bit more of a macro, micro level, right? Not the macro, but you know, looking more at the the day to day, the weekly. You're going to have one on ones with with people on your team. And if, and if you have asked somebody to go outside their safe zone to to try to tackle a problem, when you're in your one-on-ones, what are you hoping to see to help you know kind of observe their progress and make sure that they're still supported on that like that one-on-one basis? With the time that you have with them, I see. So the first part is that
1: every time I'm having one on one with anyone or I'm talking to anyone, I look at what their rash looks like. You know where are they focused? This is what like the entire world says where. Where focus goes, energy flows. So if they're focused on a personal problem that they're having at home, and we say, hey, don't bring your personal problems to work. The thing is that a human can't leave their problems at home. It's part of their life. So you kind of have to accept that 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 will be there. So, and everybody's going through something every day in life. So when a person comes, I let them air out what they're talking, what they're thinking about. And for them, they have to feel comfortable that they can share anything they want to. So you have to build that trust with them. It takes a while with some people. And so they'll share information. You realize if they're having some personal trouble and stuff that you have to work towards that. You have to help them air it out so that they can now remove those things out of the rast. So you are a rast master. Your job is to figure out your own and you also can help the other people work with their ass. So I focus mainly on that. And if those things are causing trouble, for example, the personal problem, help them air it out, they take it out. Then I ask them some questions. And here's an example. for, For example, if somebody is not like responding themselves to something like they're sitting like uh, like they're not they're not excited about or they're not thinking about it the way i do it is you know you think about this rubber band over here right so if you have a rubber band and you, like you, you move it like this now there's tension between them so if i say hey you are here and this is your goal and i'm going to set a goal over here it's going to immediately create a tension over here okay and so one response would be remove the goal state i want to go back i don't want to do it and that's how you can release attention. Other way is that let's make a plan. Let's go towards solving this problem. And so the goal over here is to create this tension first. And the way you create that is by asking questions. You know, we invoke critical thinking instead of saying, "Hey, I want you to work on this." Talk about the problem, and say, "What do you think we should be, do- be doing about this?" And now they are using the critical thinking from their perspective. They're thinking, "Okay, I have autonomy in how I solve the problems." And if they're not excited, you didn't define the problem correctly you got to connect the problem with them. Like, he wasn't excited about big data, and I said, hey, your, your teammates need it, you can do it, and then he got excited about that. So you have to work with that. But the first step starts with these two things. So there's a framework for it. Uh, it's a famous framework. People don't talk about it like this, though. It's called the Grow Framework. And you are helping people grow. Whenever they solve a problem, they're always growing. So G is for goal, so you define the goal over here. And the second part is that you define the reality. R is for reality. So now you have to do these two things. It creates an energy now. Now, you're not telling them what it is. You're having a discussion with them through Q&A. And they're the ones who are saying, oh, this should be the goal. Or this should. This is what the reality looks like. So with this one, because you're asking questions, you have to convince them. There is no convincing. There is no argument. It's a conversation. You're asking questions. You're not even suggesting anything. Now, with this one, you will also explore if they're not moving towards this, there are some obstacles. So I say strategy is about when you want to hit a goal, if there is no obstacle, you can just make the goal. But there are obstacles in between. the are defenders, the are lines of defense. So you got to have a strategy to overcome those defenses. And so when you have obstacles, you got to have a strategy for that. And so for this person, he was saying, hey, you know, big data is too much for me, for example. And so for that, he needed some confidence, some actual confidence. And I was also, back in the day, used to be a very good big data engineer. But I did not mentor him. My goal was to coach him because he had his own talent and he could go and find all the information he wants to. So obstacle is there. always for obstacles, but also for options. Sometimes people will start discussing options. Hey, I'm excited. I want to do this. And if there are obstacles, you help them move the obstacles that are part of their ass. And then you start discussing options with them. Again, questions. So they come up with, hey, I can do this. I can do that. I can learn this first. I can do that. So you're planning with them also around this this thing. They're part of the planning process, and so the ownership is completely on them. You're not owning anything. You're saying, "I'm here to help you go towards that direction." You're asking questions. They are the one who's giving you the solutions. They are the ones who saying this should be the goal. This is the reality it looks like. You're only challenging them when they are not looking deeper, or they are like they have blind spots. You are only challenging through questions like that. And this is Socrates' method of invoking critical thinking. Now, the last step is will, which is what will you do next. And the important part is once they discuss what they want to do, like it's out there, it's not part of the RAS. Like when they talk about it, now it automatically goes onto the RAS, the list that they want. Now they start looking forward towards it. All the data they see around them, 11 million bits, the filtered 50 bits that come out is part of the grow plan. And because they have the ownership ownership is the key piece for motivation to motivate people to do something
0: absolutely i I love the conversation i think um there's there's so much more we could probably cover we'll we'll have to save it for another episode but uh uh fantastic uh insights and and yeah i'm gonna have to try to work on my res myself i think like everyone else like you said that's a work in progress So uh fantastic stuff I like to ask all my guests uh, this question, um, and it's if they could have a future guest cover a topic. What topic they would like to hear um, about?
1: Excellent question. I am going to give you. There's a topic that I've been researching, and I don't have an exact answer yet on that. I have like different people, different theories, and I want an expert come in and talk about that. And that's on the word of gratitude you think about it everywhere let's talk about religions for a minute almost all the religions no matter what they do they talk about gratitude no matter where they come from right so that's one thing the other part is that even now people who don't follow religions in the community of leadership and others they talk about gratitude you mentioned simon senec he talks about gratitude right Right, he talked about something, hey, I don't have a bucket list because then it means I'm not enjoying what I have. I don't have for that. And so the question is that why is gratitude so important for us to do big things? How does it motivate us? People say if you don't have gratitude, then you're not attracting things
0: towards you. Why is that? Right, I want to know a lot more about that. That's a good one. I like that. How would you like somebody to reach out to you, by the way? Because I'm sure other people want to reach out and pick your brain on what you spoke LinkedIn about. is
1: one of the best options to reach out to me.
0: Okay. All right, we will make sure we include that. Um, Taha, thanks, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. It was great. Sameer, thank you, Amir. It was great uh, being here. Absolutely, thank you. That's it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back again, different guests, different topic. Until then, uh, two things. One, I-, I think that topic of gratitude is a great discussion and uh, understanding you know, how it impacts people, management teams, why it's so important, and and you know. Could go a ton of different directions, but if you're an expert or, or know someone who could talk on that subject, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And secondly, if you find the podcast useful, please share it with somebody else. That's how the podcast has grown and I appreciate anyone who does share it. And also leave a review, subscribe. That's, that's the other way we like to see growth is through the subscriptions. I appreciate anyone who is subscribing. And until next time, thank you and goodbye.